It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero. It's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com, or give my man a call. 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. And speaking about going to St. Simon's, don't forget, we're going to have a, a huge Billy C. event uh, down on the beautiful island of St. Simon's. Uh, this will be taking place uh, um, either the last week in August or the second week in September. We are uh, solidifying the plans now. We're trying to move it uh, for that uh, second week in September so we can land on the uh, Mexican holiday weekend. Uh, it is going to be a three-day event, chock full of activities, all boxing-related, uh, and we want you to join us. The thing is, it's invitation only, so you got to sign up for it. Drop me an email if you're interested in getting put on the list as soon as we get uh, availability and accommodations all set. Uh, we will be able to uh, send out pricing. So uh, drop me an email if you're interested. We already got several people on the list. We have plenty of room. So, uh, hey, take the family. It's a great uh, few days on a beautiful island. Uh, off the uh, coast of Georgia. So drop me an email, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. You're not going to want to miss it. Golf tournament, fishing tournament, meet and greet with some celebrities, former world champions, etc., etc., and, of course, Crash and Sal's Restaurant, where we can all uh, eat some fine Italian cuisine. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage. The Baddest Man on the Planet is available right now. We're all... Good books are sold. You can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to the show. No matter when you're watching or listening to the show, just go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. If you're looking to get a signed copy, hey, we'll hook you up. Just visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the book, and you'll get the information of uh, how to get a signed copy. And speaking of signed copies, if you want more than one, I'll hook you up with a special deal. Just email me directly, billy at Talking boxing. Let me spell it for you. It's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. Um, we got some stuff to talk about today. Some news, uh, some uh, an updated uh, uh, boxing availability deal with uh, top ranking ESPN. We'll chat about. 
um, promoter uh, Eddie Hearn uh, had a uh, an interesting comment, uh, which is kind of my main topic today. Um, he said that Joseph Parker, the next fight that's coming up in a couple of weeks, March 31st against uh, Anthony Joshua, will actually be a tougher fight for uh, Anthony Joshua than Deontay Wilder would be. Um, I'm going to read you that quote, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you our thoughts on that. Uh, but first, I, I just want to mention uh, something that happened yesterday. And, you know, during yesterday's show, I, you know, we were going through the news and stuff, and uh, one of the things that, that we discussed was the fact that Jeff Horn signed his contract. And they were, uh, you know, bragging about how they got the signed contract to fight Terrence Crawford. Now, if you recall, Terrence Crawford moved up, relinquished all his belts at the 140-pound division, moved up to welter, has yet to fight a welterweight fight, and landed a world title shot against Jeff Horn, who's currently the WBO world welterweight champion. And uh, Horn was bragging about having the, the contract signed, sealed, and delivered. I was saying yesterday how I thought it was kind of strange um, that, uh, you know, we've been talking about this fight. It's been kind of etched in, in stone, and we're just hearing about the signing of it. Well, guess what? After the show yesterday, it was reported that the fight was postponed because Terrence Crawford hurt his hand. Huh. Made me wonder. Joining me right now. Uh, some people call him the boy wonder. I just call him Sal Rocky Senecola. Good morning, Sal. Wonder, wonder, wonder who. No, don't start singing. <laughs> don't start singing. I, I, I'm getting flashbacks of what it's like at your restaurant at night. Come on, man. I, come know, on. Those songs, when they come on, man, we have a blast. Yeah, like, you have a blast. I, I've, I've secretly talked to all the employees. They, they go a little insane. Why do you think they're always sending you on errands and stuff, Sal? So they don't have to listen to that, you know? Uh, but, true, true. We, but, sing, we do sing and have a good time. And ring the bell. But listen. Uh, Terrence Crawford injures his hand. The uh, fight was supposed to take place on April 14th. Um, the good news is, is that uh, according to multiple reports, Terrence Crawford didn't suffer any other damage, including like ligament damage. So they're looking uh, to possibly reschedule this fight uh, in, uh, uh, in June or even late May. What's your thoughts on the fact that this injury was announced literally hours after um, Jeff Horn announced that they had a signed, sealed, and delivered contract. Do you think maybe Team uh, Crawford knew that his uh, that there was an injury? Um, I'm gonna tell you something. I don't know, and it could you know a bruised knuckle can happen anytime. Uh, and that, that could be considered an injury. It just, uh, you know, sometimes you fight with it. I fought with many bruised knuckles. And uh, you know, like I said, Bill, I, I, would, I would challenge to see if there was any fighter who ever went into the ring 100%. You never go into the ring 100%. There's always something that, that keeps it. But you are at the 100% best you are. At the moment you enter the ring. That, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't know if that was a good explanation. But, man, come on. This is training. This is boxing. You put your body through a lot. And the sparring, the the bag work, 
the the little muscles when you're when you're running the the the, the pulls and the, the strains the stress fractures you for me anyway i can speak for myself i was always a hundred percent but there was never something where you didn't go in pain free there was something that was uh that was on the back of your mind or something else uh you know, very rare was it that you were like a, a complete sealed uh, package uh, from start to finish. You, it just is part of boxing. And you know what? You live with it. You learn with it. And it's just what level degree uh, is, is the pain or is the is the uh, injury going to prevent or sustain a, 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 a cause to uh, delay a fight or so. Um, so his knuckle injury, whether it happened instantaneously or a hand injury that that could have happened the day he sparred, the day he worked out, the same day they signed the contract, or maybe the pen was a little bit different for him, wasn't an ergogenic pen, and uh, and he 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 bruised his knuckle. I don't know. I'm I'm just shutting up. Now. Yeah, you're rambling on. I, I you're you're really trying to BS your through this because my uh, yeah, question. I am. I'm sorry. My, my guys. question. I, I just uh, I gotta have my cup of coffee. My question is simple. I, all all I really ask. Forget about the injury. I mean, you know, listen. I, I find so, it very bizarre, very strange, Bill. Okay, you know, they, all right, <laughs> thanks. Because that an injury the day the the announcement of the fight. Right, that's what I was looking for. You know, because you know, I you know, certain fighters, Sal, they get to a point based on their accomplishments, and you know, when you see an announcement like an injury, you don't want to really question it. You know, I mean, Terrence Crawford is one of those guys. You know, he's a solid uh, guy. Yeah, he's never no, had I, credibility I, I, issues in the past. In, in my opinion, he, you know, he's he's a pound for pound fighter. I mean, th this guy, I love. Ter I love Terence Crawford. I mean, I, I love his I style. I, I love his approach. Um, so, I mean, and I hate to say it, but I, you know, I kind of give him a pass with the injury. You know, other fighters, they're always getting hurt. They're always doing this, and and then you wonder, you know, why, why, you know. Um, but in this particular case, I, I just find it strange. You know, we've been talking about this matchup for weeks, literally for weeks. And all of a sudden, yesterday, you know, Jeff Horn just gets a signed contract. I found that bizarre. And then equally as bizarre, later in the day, we find out that, that Crawford injures his hand. And it's not even, uh, uh, you know, the fight is postponed. But, but wait, there's more. Because here's the most bizarre part of it all. There's more? Oh, yeah, there's more. There's more. And you don't even have to act. You don't even have to act now, Sal. There's more. You know, he, he, and and you're gonna love this, or at least uh, you're gonna you're gonna just shake your head because you know it's. It, but you know, you gotta be careful what question you ask me because I might ramble on a little bit. Well, more. no, no, no. You're you're gonna shake your head because you know what I'm gonna say after this. But check this oh, out, boy. This card now. Now let me ask you a question. Yeah. There's no contracts in place before yesterday, so technically, even though that we talk about it and promoters talk about it, technically. The fight's not really official, right? I mean, would you agree with that? I would agree with that statement, Your Honor. You would agree that that if there's no contracts, I mean, the fight's if not no really. If there's no signed contract, there's no definite fight that we could talk about and, and, and promote. Okay. So so let me, let me take it even a step further. In the law of commissions, in boxing commissions, all right, generally – with the bigger commissions, and I'm talking about New York, you know, New Jersey, uh, and Nevada, okay, and California. Oh boy, I know you hate all right. Nevada uh, uh, you know, he, he, here's generally the protocol: 
you know, and, and Florida too. Uh, you know, these are these are you know states that, that I'm they're very familiar with. States, they're big states. Well, right? they're they're states I'm I'm directly familiar with by being yes. involved in 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 fights, and you know, I do know that if you're a promoter, you're not technically even allowed to promote the event until you go through all of the channels, the proper channels with that court with that commission in terms of securing a date securing a venue, proposing a fight that has to be approved by the commission. And when it's a big fight, generally 99.99999, you get the idea, percent of the time, uh, the commissions require copies of the contracts, okay? Because, and, and the reason they do this, boys and girls, is because if there's a dispute and the con- and the commission has a copy of the contract, they get to be the first level mediator. But that's besides the point. Yesterday, Sal, before uh, uh, the injury was reported, the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and this was before Jeff Horn even said that he got the signed contracts, the Nevada State Athletic Commission publicly announced that they already assigned officials, judges, and referees to the fight that was taking place on April 14th. Now we know that the fight is not taking place. What's your thoughts on that gutless, spineless piece of garbage known as Bob Bennett for the Nevada Athletic Commission by jumping the gun once again, showing that he makes special concessions for special people. And in this case, uh, you got to kind of look at top rank. He's a Vegas guy. He's a Nevada guy. Uh, what's your thoughts with the Nevada State Athletic Commission already assigning officials to a fight that technically wasn't signed, sealed, and delivered? Well, hey, you know, it's putting the cart ahead of the horse, the chicken before the egg. Uh, what, 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 what else could I say? I mean, they do things a little bit differently in Nevada than they do uh, throughout the other uh, jurisdictions where they come to do things chronologically in an order and a fashion that we are used to. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, they, they should have had everything else signed, sealed, and delivered before they uh, had the whole playing field established. And uh, what else could I say about it? It's a, it's a little faux pas, and I'm sure they're going to have to retract a few things, but uh, it's, it is what it is. The thing they should retract is Bob Bennett. Bob, Bob Bennett, I, I, I don't know how, much, how many more instances we have to see where this guy is just not the right guy to be in charge of a uh, commission or being up there, uh, one of the main guys in charge of, of a commission as big as Nevada State Athletic, as big as the Nevada State Athletic Commission where so many fights are held. This guy's been at the center of... You know, controversy, controversy yeah. for for you know the last twelve months. I mean, this guy's been at the center several times, and to me, this is just totally ridiculous. You can't assign officials to an to a fight that has not been signed, sealed, and delivered yet. And what I mean by that, just because he may have approved the matchup, which is protocol. He would have had to have seen both signed contracts. Now, there, there could be multiple contracts. You know, uh, there's what they call a bout 
uh, contract that has to be submitted with the commission that accompanies the approval of a fight and then there's an amendment to that if there's other stipulations rematch blah 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 that goes above and beyond the requirements of the commission uh you know then that's that's a uh you know an appendix uh, an, an, an added to the uh uh to the uh contract so uh, the bottom line is it couldn't have possibly have been in bob bennett's hands considering Jeff Horn was just showing that he signed it and had a fully executed contract in his hands yesterday. So I, I just find this uh, bizarre that this guy is doing this. And and let alone, this is on the heels of a decision for Canelo Triple G where Canelo tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs, which he has not made a ruling on yet, uh, which should have been swift it shouldn't have been dragged out. It's, it almost seems like he's hoping people forget about this. Um, I, I don't know. It's time for him to go, Sal. I, I don't know what else to say. I, I don't live in the state of Nevada, and obviously Bob Bennett doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but as far as the overall you know, good of the sport, I, this guy is not good for the sport. Your thoughts, please. Did he ever answer your letter? Never. Never <laughs> answered my letter. Come on, I had to read that a couple of times here, and uh, no, he never. That's 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 where I named him. He's the gutless, spineless bum of, of Nevada. Billy who? Right, right. But what Let do you me think, tell you something, Bill? Uh, I, I I would assume that that is an appointed uh, position. Correct? Yes, it's not elected. You're no, appointed. no. Generally, the the states appoint their yeah. uh, commission. That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. How long is the term, or how long? Uh, how long do we have to uh, undergo or withstand his his, uh, his position? That I, his, uh, I that I don't know. That I I mean, uh, you know, I've seen I've seen uh, commissioners or executive directors, if you will, um, be you know replaced, uh, no rhyme or reason. Uh, I've seen them go for years and years and never be replaced. Uh, I've seen them uh, step down on their own. I've seen them removed and reappointed. I, the the you sound only like you got the foundation of a good song going on. Well, right the now. the only the only the only real positive that I see is when you have an elected year and and a new regime comes in, they bring in all their buddies. You know, especially in Vegas, the Corleones tried to overtake. Well, you know, the the, the worst part about uh, commissions and being appointed. You opened up another can of worms here, Sal. <laughs> The worst kind of I the, do that the, all day. the worst thing the head. worst thing about commissions and the fact that the, the their states appoint people involved with the commission is generally they're returning a favor, hooking up a buddy, doing this, doing that, and and most of the time it seems like these guys that are all of a sudden become uh, you know influential in the boxing part of uh, the commission don't know anything about boxing. You know, there's a guy in New York for the longest time. As a matter of fact, I think he's still the main guy, even though um, uh, they have an executive director structure now. Uh, that's a base. He has a baseball background. He doesn't even have. Oh, or no, they had a guy at baseball. Now I think his background is the guy in place in New York is basketball. But uh, well, when are we gonna get boxing people? Hold that thought, Sal. I got more. I got more. So you got uh, more? So, yeah, I, I, I got like more coming. But, but yeah, more. don't don't go anywhere. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in two. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that? 
that's my face. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> that's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I'm here with uh, my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. We're talking about uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Yeah, no doubt. Bob Bob Bennett, uh, really, uh, he's either losing his mind or, or I don't know, man. Um, yeah. Bill, it's, it's I, I love in between the commercials. I, I get a chance to catch up and read some of the comments in the chat room. Uh, and and uh, I, I love it. You're, you, the audience, these guys, you, they're, they're comical. They're great. They, they have some good opinions. And uh, I, I, I love it. I love reading what, what I see here. And who is it that said I was in the back pocket of Bob Bennett? <laughs> well, you know, you got to remember, we're, we're, we're doing multiple chat rooms now. Yes, we are. Uh, we got, uh, you know, I got the uh, uh, cha- our, our official chat room up on BillyCBoxing.com and then We've been playing more of an active role up on the YouTube chat room, uh, especially since we've uh, uh, introduced Super Chat, which uh, I've never people, been there. Well, Super Chat, what people could do is uh, is have me give them a shout out or, or say something, get, get their opinion, uh, you know, online. Uh, they they fork up some money, and uh, it's a two way street, you know. So oh, I get uh, it. It's it's a, a new I, it's a money thing. Well, it's it a new now. thing that that they yeah. have, and and I was recommended to do it by one of our listeners who actually Willie, my man Super Willie, who like who, who was the first guy to try it. So, but uh, but anyway, um, I, I just think that. Uh, you know this whole this whole entire card gets scrapped out of New, out of Nevada, but Bob Bennett already sets the officials. I, it's uh, I, I don't know what else. But moving on, um, Eddie Hearn uh, was quoted yesterday as saying, and and and, and let let's let's make no mistake. Eddie Hearn does not need to promote the fight between uh, Anthony Joshua and Joseph Parker. It's already sold out. It was sold out in, in hours. Uh, but the fight's taking place in a couple of weeks, March 31st. Uh, and uh, he said, and I quote, this is Eddie Hearn, he says, technically, Parker, because, you know, everybody keeps asking him uh, and, you know, everybody else involved about the uh, the potential showdown between uh, Parker, I, I'm sorry, between uh, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. It's the only fight we want to see. Uh, so uh, uh, Eddie Hearn says, technically, Parker will be a tougher fight than Deontay Wilder for Anthony Joshua. The Wilder fight is going to be dangerous, but Anthony Joshua is going to be able to pick Wilder off, beat him up, and punish him. Parker is going to be a breakdown job. Parker's going to be moving, and they are going to have to be clever, and they're going to have a game plan. Wilder against AJ, the game plan goes out the window. It's going to be a barn burner, but it's all irrelevant unless AJ wins on March 31st, which I agree with. Uh, Anthony Joshua has to do his part by winning in order to get Deontay Wilder. But, you know, I I, kind of... Now let me start off by saying this, Sal. Start off. No one's, fan, way, you no, know. no one's a bigger fan. No one's a bigger fan of Anthony Joshua than than myself. I I think That's he's true. the best heavyweight You've on been the planet. Speaking about Anthony Joshua for years. But but here comes the but. 
you know, there's always are, a but. Are, are you going to tell but. me that a game plan goes out the window against Deontay Wilder? Listen, this seems to me uh, like they're actually saying, if 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 Eddie Hearn is saying that uh, it's going to be tough, Parker's going to be moving, we're going to have to break him down, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, oh, it's going to be easy because uh, when he fights Wilder, Wilder's just going to come in and AJ's going to pick him off and, and knock him out, basically, is what he's saying. But it seems to me like this fight, that statement, game plan goes out the window, seems to me like you can't, There's maybe they're not thinking of even having a game plan. And the reason is because of Deontay Wilder's punching power. That negates and neutralizes any game plan. We saw it. Here's a guy that... That, you know, let's be real. Luis Ortiz was beating him until the knockout. I don't know. You know, I know the the the, the paid-off judges, some of them had it uh, in Wilder's favor. But let's make no mistake, Deontay Wilder was getting his tushy beat up uh, by Luis Ortiz until the, the hammer came down and he put Ortiz to sleep like he does in other fights. The... Uh, a Tor Spitzka fight, he, he was actually losing until the hammer came down. So let's be real. Wilder's got the, the equalizer in his right hand. He's been relying on it, and it's been coming through for him for 40 fights so far, Sal. Um, are, are, do you think that uh, Eddie Hearn is suggesting that it's going to be a, a slugfest, or is he just confident that AJ's technical ability will, uh, will be able to you know, get past uh, what no one else has been able to with uh, with Wilder's punching power, his pure power. Good question, Bill. And I will tell you by that statement from Eddie Hearn, uh, he's predicting uh, against Joseph Parker a more traditional, methodical way of breaking down a fighter and uh, more reliable style to prepare for. You know, you have styles make fights. I've been saying that for years, and we know that. And the kind of style that Parker brings to the table, they could prepare for. And they could look at and accentuate what's going to be positive and negate what's not going to be working for them. So the bottom line is they're going to go into this fight and uh, train for Joseph Parker along the lines of where Joseph Parker is, is has fought every previous fight. So they're going to prepare and they should be able to get past, even though Joseph Parker is a tough fight. So we don't want to just just automatically assume he's going to uh, be the winner, but I, he should. Anthony Joshua should be the winner at the end of the Joseph Parker fight. Now, henceforth, when you go into the ring with Deontay Wilder, and why why Eddie Hearn made a uh, uh, a comment like that is because all bets are off. It's so unpredictable. It's what I've been saying and declaring for years about about Deontay Wilder. Yes, I am a Deontay Wilder fan, but the bottom line is. Because he's so unpredictable, you never know where that punch is going to come from. And we do know he could take a hell of a shot. And we do know he's got the heart of a champion. And we do know that he is still in the fight in the later rounds. So it's going to be a very dangerous fight. And it's not going to be as easy or as predictable as Eddie Hearn would suggest that it may be. So I think that even though they could prepare, uh, uh, it's going to be this kind of preparation you've got to expect the unexpected from Deontay Wilder yeah but I I, I mean listen first things first why uh, yeah, uh Anthony, first. Anthony Joshua has to get past uh Joseph Parker but but you know I, the thing is this and yes you know Deontay Wilder showed me that he's got a, a, a decent chin um against Luis Ortiz uh, now as far as Luis Ortiz is concerned 
you know, we could say, well, how powerful of a puncher was he? I mean, uh, Deontay Wilder still showed me a lot. I, my 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 thoughts of Deontay Wilder after the Ortiz fight uh, has gone up. Now, now, granted, Ortiz. It, it, well, well, my, I'm just saying my personal feelings towards. Yeah. I mean, uh, a- Anthony Joshua. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Deontay Wilder clearly showed me everything I thought he was. He has no technique. He's got no footwork, contrary to what you say. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he has no defense. You know, all those things were evident against Luis Ortiz. And the fact that he stayed on his feet after Ortiz was battering him, that impressed me. The fact that he didn't crumble and lose uh, his, his, you know, his determination impressed me. And the fact that he came back and knocked out Ortiz, that impressed me. But the things that I still am not impressed about, the, the lack of technique and footwork, etc., um, is still a major concern. And I do believe, especially now, that Deontay Wilder is 100% reliant on his punching power to to take him through. And I know he feels that AJ is suspect, just like people thought that that Wilder was suspect uh, to the knockout. But the question is simple. Does Luis Ortiz possess punching power um, enough to really say, well, since Deontay didn't go down against Ortiz, it's safe to say that he could withstand a barrage of punches from Anthony Joshua. I mean, can can we safely say that? Do you think? I'll tell you what. I think they're going to be uh, close in close in power, but uh, definitely not in delivery. And what I mean by that is Anthony Joshua is, is such a solid fighter, and when he delivers a punch, he's his feet are underneath him, and he's executing a, a textbook punch, and that's where the power emanates and comes from. His his torquing the body with the shoulder and uh, and the, the arm. He, he's he's a great puncher. He's a hard puncher, and I think that um, it's going to be something that Deontay Wilder is going to be uh, tested again early. I think he's going to get uh, some of those big shots, and he's going to have to weather the storm, uh, especially if he doesn't work on his defense. And then you know also to Deontay Wilder's credit, whenever you fight a southpaw, it sometimes is not a pretty fight. And uh, we know that uh, Ortiz was a southpaw. And, you know, Deontay Wilder was, was not using that jab. Uh, of course, he, you know, you try to circle to the outside of the right foot of a southpaw and you don't go into his power. Uh, so it, 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 it usually establishes a different kind of uh, tempo, a different kind of fight, a different kind of feeling out process. So with that being said, and, and, and Anthony Joshua not being a southpaw, I think that, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, more of a traditional way of starting a fight. And I think Deontay Wilder will come out there trying to establish a, a jab and things like that. So I just can't wait to see the fight. And this fight's got to take place. And that's it. Uh, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And, I knew uh, you were going to say that. Yeah, well, you, you know the times. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we will, uh, we'll be back in a couple. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there, Jeremy. Man, uh, I need you to take this one. All right? Wait, what? What? No way! I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you, I'm Billy C. Damn it! Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey. 
Hey, look at me, I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I'm uh, finding some interesting comments in the uh, YouTube chat room. You know, so, sometimes sometimes you get some trolls in there. But today we got a good group of guys that are uh, actually saying intelligent things. So, uh, um, and, and some of the comments, Sal, are, are you know, uh, Deontay Wilder has better stamina than uh than anthony joshua which which i kind of agree with um the the other thing uh that that i that i take a look at when when i you know dream i'm dreaming about these two guys getting in the ring together uh is the fact that you know the knockout punch you know we, we talk about um deontay wilder having uh, the knockout power which he clearly has uh and then now we're giving him kudos for for his his chin and then I made a comment about Luis Ortiz. You know, maybe he's not such a hard... I mean, all heavyweights are hard punching. Any heavyweight can knock uh, another heavyweight out. However, I don't know if you can really put Luis Ortiz's punching power in the same category as Anthony Joshua's. Um, and, and the best knockout that Luis Ortiz has on his resume, I happen to have been ringside for. And that was against Brian Jennings. But Brian Jennings is a small guy. But... So is Deontay Wilder when it comes to weight. And let me tell you something. There's something very similar about Deontay Wilder and Bryant Jennings. Nothing to do with style or anything like that because Jennings is way more technically sound. But their body types are very similar. And, um, you know, they both come in really good shape. So I don't know. I I don't know if we use the the Bryant Jennings as a gauge for for Luis Ortiz's punching power so that we can – say, okay, how good is Deontay Wilder's chin? The bottom line is both Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua are going to be in trouble if either of them take a, a, a serious shot from the other. Don't you agree on that at least? Yes, I do agree. I do agree. They both have uh, enough power to hurt the other fighter. It's a matter of who's going to be able to recover. And uh, I'll tell you what, that's why this fight is is anticipated to be one of the uh, big fights that we're going to have to see. And uh, I, I can't wait. Uh, and I know we have to go through uh, Joseph Parker. I know we have to can't, can't count the chickens before they hatched and all the others. But, you know, this fight, I hope they put it together before the end of this year. And uh, that, that was my declaration later last year. And uh, this, this fight is going to be a heck of a showdown. You're going to see... You know, all bets are on, and uh, uh, you're gonna see uh, you're gonna see a big, big uh, interest from uh, people in the boxing world, certainly. But you're gonna see a big interest from. I mean, this is gonna be one of the biggest fights. I'm telling you right now, when Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua get in a ring to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world and unify the title belt, I'm telling you what, this is gonna be one of the biggest, biggest promoted. And world events uh, in the sport of boxing that we've seen in a long time, bigger than, bigger than Klitschko, bigger than uh, it's going to be big, 
And I'll tell you what, a fighter like a like a like an Anthony Joshua is gonna have to be very careful because Deontay Wilder is a dangerous fighter for any opponent, and we know that. And I think that. Uh, well, I will make our predictions when I fight signed, sealed, and delivered, okay? It's not going to be uh, up to Bob Bennett to, to tell us when. Well, I heard Bob Bennett. <laughs> I heard Bob Bennett's already assigning officials and stuff for the fight. I was going to say, Billy, watch out. Yeah, I heard Bob Bennett's already got officials and judges and everybody all set for for Wilder, uh, uh, AJ. So, you know. But, uh, listen, the, the fight – we want it so bad, and and we're hearing things fight. like it's a dream. Fight. Well, now now we're even hearing things from from the, both sides saying that you know we're we're talking about eighty percent that it's going to happen this year. Um, I, listen, I told you, I, I, you're you're right. I I predicted it would happen in twenty nineteen. I, I did not think it was going to happen this it's year. Got to happen this year. Um, but I agree with you. I I think it does have to happen. Because then it sets the, the the base for another good year next year because somebody else will come into play. We have a lot of young Absolutely. fighters. You see, what I don't want to see is I don't want to see these two heavyweights, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, continue to fight lesser opposition other than themselves. Now, there are some good quality young heavyweights out there. But these guys deserve, and I'm talking about the young heavyweights, they deserve an opportunity to improve, then fight Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua. And then let's keep one thing in mind, Sal, something very important. The loser of the fight between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder is the perfect opponent for a next young up-and-coming guy. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so, uh, so many big fights open up. You just have to get this one out of the way. You know, people say, uh, some of these promoters say, oh, we want to marinate the fight. We want to marinate the fight. Well, that actually prevents other big fights from coming. I, I don't understand why, why these, you know, so-called so experts don't see that. You know, there's always, listen, remember, I've been saying this for years. After every big fight, when everyone says, oh, we want to see so-and-so fight so-and-so, after every big fight, another big fight emerges after that one. There's no reason to marinate. That is a complete fabrication and a smokescreen that promoters pull over the fans' eyes. And and it's about time it stopped. And you know what? It looks like it has, Sal. Well, I, and we, we, we're glad about that because, you know, the marination process to create and to stimulate some interest. You know, when, when fight fans know. When a fight is going to be promoted and it's going to happen between two combatants that are that are noted to be top of the list to, to meet each other, you know, hey, guess what? That's what the fight fans want to see. And as you suggested, yes, after a big fight like this, the fallout after the big fight spawns yet more fights from it. And you know what? If uh, like like uh, Luis Ortiz losing to Deontay Wilder a couple weeks ago, you know, he's going to be perfect. Uh, possibly to fight the winner of Anthony Joshua and Joseph Parker. And uh, the, the loser will match up against them. So there's always fights to be made. And it's the styles that, that are so unique and that can create the interest. And that's why uh, when you get a big puncher like Anthony Joshua and you get a dangerous puncher, an unpredictable puncher like Deontay Wilder, man, fireworks and interest are going to happen. And the winner and loser of that fight will still have a career ahead of them. Well, I, listen, the, the, the suggestion that a fighter loses and that's the end, that's just ignorance. Forget about and, it. Yeah, yeah, you know. So uh, anyway, 
Can't wait for the fight to happen. It's going to happen eventually. Deontay Wilder, uh, you know, fighting Anthony Joshua. But just like Deontay Wilder had to get past Luis Ortiz and did it in dramatic fashion, there's pressure on Anthony Joshua now uh, to get past uh, Joseph Parker. And Joseph Parker is very confident uh, leading up to this fight in a couple of weeks. So, hey, you know what? Joseph Parker is in a position to upset this apple cart big time, Sal. <laughs> Big time. I mean, this fight could be uh, Deontay Wilder versus uh, Joseph Parker. And you know what? I still think in a win-loser draw on Anthony Joshua's part, uh, fans are still going to want to see that fight take place. But uh, you're right. You know what? <laughs> April, what is, it? what is the date? April 30th? For, for which fight, my man? No, I mean uh, for, for, uh, for Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua against? Uh, yeah, uh, Joseph uh, Parker. Is is in two weeks, March thirty first. Yeah, 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 yeah. March thirty. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's gonna be that's gonna be uh, all eyes on that. And you want to talk about disrupting the cart? We'll see what happens if Joseph Parker should win and get past Anthony Joshua. You're gonna see you're gonna see a lot of uh, shuffling of the deck and reshuffling here and there, but uh, and dealing out the cards for the next opponent. But the bottom line is, if everything goes as is is predicted to go. We should see uh, Anthony Joshua uh, being the winner of uh, the Joseph Parker fight. And the rumbles and the talk of uh, Deontay Wilder would be instantly, right after his hand is raised, Anthony Joshua, they'll be talking about that. In fact, I, I, De Deontay Wilder is probably going to be ringside, don't you think? Oh, yeah. They've already said that uh, Deontay yeah. Wilder, I think he's going to be a guest uh, analyst. I think he's going to be uh, part of the broadcast team. So, listen. They got this. It's happening. It's it's happening, sweetheart. It's happening, sweetheart. I'll tell you another thing that's happening. You know, we've been talking about how, how and ironically enough, uh, you know, as boxing seems to be moving in back to uh, the future, so to speak, uh, you know, being entertaining, and, and we're finally getting young fighters that are willing to engage with each other, um, the interest level is skyrocketing. We, we were talking about the... Uh, uh, rankings, the television rankings and viewership uh, on the fight so far this year. And we're uh, almost done with, uh, believe it or not, we're almost done with the first quarter of 2018. But all these uh, stats are coming out and, and the numbers are, are blowing people away. Well, uh, you know, to that end, it, it does not surprise me that ESPN and Top Rank uh, uh, added, uh, uh, made another deal, um, adding 12 more uh, live events. Uh, ESPN has a uh, app now called ESPN Plus, uh, and they uh, have agreed with Top Rank, who will supply them with 12 more uh, boxing events um, beginning this year. So uh, good stuff for the sports, Al. I mean, there's, there's no doubt oh, about that. Absolutely, and I'm excited about it too. And, you know, like, like we often said, uh, one fight may lead to another fight, uh, just that with the fallout from from one fight, and that's what's happening now. We're putting the best fighters in the ring with the other uh, other group of best fighters, and that's what the fans want to see. Well, hey, I mean that's all boxing fans want to see: the best fight, the best, you know. So, uh, hey, listen, we're going to do some emails right now, and um, you know, I, I just want to uh, thank everyone that's interacting with the show uh, via. Uh, our emails and um, also with all the chat rooms and and now we have that <clears throat> super chat uh, available super chat. just uh, told me what that was all about well it's available in, in YouTube now we have the regular uh, chat in YouTube but the super chat hey you want to get your point uh, talked live on the air and then have it broadcast 
on all our radio affiliates and TV affiliates and our uh, 250,000 podcast subscribers, et cetera, et cetera, well, then just send us a super chat and I'll, uh, I'll hook you up. But uh, anyway, this was the one email that was left out yesterday. And I tell you, I want to thank everybody with the emails because you guys have made me uh, a better reader because some of these emails are so friggin' long. I feel like I'm reading a book. And, You're uh, doing a good job, pal. My man, my man Luke, uh, is uh, is coming in. I really request. I, listen, I love all the emails, guys, but um, try to limit it to to you know 19 pages. Well, you know, try to limit it to a couple of paragraphs at most, please. I mean. Uh, you know, I, 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 Sal falls asleep, and he's drinking all the coffee, and he's got to run to the bathroom. I mean, it's it's such a, a domino effect here, guys. I got my Philly C mug but, uh, right here, right but, here. Uh, but hold on, let me let me let me set right where. Oh, yeah, that is a good looking mug you got there. It's a mug. It's yeah, a I, w- I wish mug. I wish the other guy wouldn't have ran off with the money with all the other mugs. <laughs> he ran I off had. with the mug and the money. Uh, yeah, he ran off what, with the with the prototype about? mug and the money. But uh, about uh, in any event. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, we got this email, and uh, I wanted to uh, to get to it right now. This one's from uh, Luke Thunder Breslin. Uh, he says, uh, "Hey Billy C, since uh, I say, hey Billy C, I hope you guys, I hope you and Sal are well." He says, "Hey Billy C, since Sal, uh, I think he means hey Billy C and Sal. I uh, hope you guys are well." The email the other day from your boy and ours coach got me thinking, what does it mean to be undefeated in boxing? He says, for me, I love the sport of boxing, but to retire undefeated, I always feel that you're going to have a slight asterisk against your career. There's always going to be eyebrows raised. There's always going to be fans and fighters alike critiquing your career. In today's boxing, there's way too much scope for you not uh, for you to coast to the finish line uh, as it were. Uh, not so much in the earlier days of boxing when there was just one champion in eight divisions. If you look at records of fighters from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, they usually fought the same guy several times uh, over and then usually faced them in world title fights, meaning that they clearly were fighting title contenders over and over to see who was next in line to fight for the title. One of the biggest issues today, and it's an obvious one, is, of course, the alphabet soup of sanctioning bodies, each with their different titles and, in some cases, several titles in one weight division and their strange ranking systems. Whilst his win at the uh, weekend, this past weekend, was excellent, I would also be curious to resurrect Hammer and Hank Armstrong and ask him what he thinks of Mikey Garcia being a four-weight world champion. Of course, in the modern uh, times of boxing, fighters have had the opportunity to unify the division, which would be a kind of a stamp of the, on their legacy. But how many fighters actually do aim to achieve that? I think one of the best examples of how to retire undefeated is Joe Calzaghe. <clears throat> I never liked that Calzaghe. Uh, the reason for this is Joe actually rarely mentions the fact that he was undefeated, or at least when he does, it's uh, it's like number four or five on the list of reasons why he feels he was successful. Also, he's very quick to point out the asterisk that I mentioned uh, by your career. Uh, Joe won his first title in 97 from Chris Eubank Sr. I would like to point out this was an aged Chris Eubank Sr. by this point, and this title fight was a little bit disappointing as Joe was supposed to fight Steve Collins, but a career-ending injury uh, put an end to that, so it really wasn't Joe's fault. However, he went nine more years without having a unification title fight, and if you do look at the fights within those nine, within those nine years, they're not exactly stellar composition, uh, competition. That's exactly my point, Luke, why I'm not 
I always, uh, you know, people say about Joe Calzaghe, and I'm always like, well, you know, you know, he's a little overrated. But anyway, he says Joe is uh, quick to point this out, and he mentioned several times that the fans started to turn on him, and he wasn't earning the money he felt he should have, so he realized that he had to start taking risks to reap the rewards. Joe was written off in the press over here in the UK when you agreed to fight, when he agreed to fight Jeff Lacey. Uh, he was, you put you. But it, it's he. I didn't fight Lacey. Uh, he said uh, he was told it was a career-ending fight. In fact, it was a career-making fight. Joe absolutely uh, tranced all over Jeff for 12 rounds and, in fact, pretty much destroyed Lacey's career. I will admit that uh, Jeff Lacey never had his left hook again, and uh, that was the end of Jeff Lacey's uh, career. Uh, going on from that... Uh, and the point forwards, he started to take fights where he was deemed the underdog. He took on troublesome Seiko Bika, who cut uh, Joe to ribbons with his headbutt, but then further cemented his career by picking apart a Miguel Kessler over 12. And finally, to end his career, he traveled over to the U.S. and moved up in weight and took on B-Hop, and then admittedly uh, well past his, his prime, Roy Jones Jr. Uh, B-Hop was uh, past his prime, too. Um, he said the key to the thing with all of that, Joe lists his great nights and great fights long above his undefeated record. In fact, a lot of interviews he actually forgets to mention uh, that he was undefeated. My point today is it's very difficult to retire undefeated and retain credibility uh, when being undefeated. As was pointed out, Rocky Marciano just took under nine years to rack up his incredible record. However, Floyd's 20-plus years to get to a 50-0 is a little bit eyebrows, uh, eyebrow-raising. I would like to use another example of Floyd Mayweather, the former IBF super middleweight champ Steve Otge out of Germany. Uh, he retired undefeated 34-0, never fought outside of Germany. If you look at his record, doesn't have anybody really credible on his record, but it took him seven years to get there. Well, no one's ever talking about him, so what does that tell you? Uh, Calzaghe himself retired due to injury. He had a long amateur career and a long pro career, and he damaged his hands beyond the point of being able to fight again. However, even today, Carl Frotch still brings up the fact that Joe retired because he didn't want to fight him. The fact that you have someone like Floyd who constantly uh, drums down our throats that he retired undefeated and even going so as far as trademark 50-0, which is insane, always makes me think that you don't quite believe credibility of your underrated record. Uh, instead of having a padded, undefeated record, uh, I would much rather see a fighter uh, lose and then in the next fight come back and defeat the person he lost to. I think it's a brilliant example of this is Lennox Lewis. The two guys he was knocked out by, he proceeded to come back and knock them out. Granted, Oliver McCaw was a little bit strange, but, it's, but it feels it retains my point. Sugar Ray Leonard learned from his loss and came back and schooled Roberto Duran. Admittedly, a tired example maybe, but one that I feel perfectly encapsulates how to lose in boxing and then turn that loss into a future win. Um, thanks for the email. And, and I'll tell you the truth, Sal. You know, I, I agree with what he says. I mean, here's the thing. If a fighter loses, unfortunately, and, and just, you know, Floyd Mayweather, when you look at Floyd, you know, just to point out, you know, he, he trademarked 50-0 and 0, just like, uh, uh, what's his name, trademarked 3 Pete when he said 3 uh, Pete, uh, uh, the basketball uh, coach. Um, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that in today's world, Fl Floyd Mayweather's main priority you know, was to make money. And he wanted the easiest route to make the most money. So when you look at that, if that's your goal in life for, for you, then you can't criticize. The problem no, with... I mean, the, no, exactly. you, you, you can't. But the problem with the sport of boxing 
is that its roots have been, yes, it was called prize fighting. Guys did it for the money, but guys also did it for the pride and the simple fact that they wanted to prove they were the best. By having a fight and losing a fight and then coming back and winning the fight against the guy who beat you, it shows that you corrected whatever was wrong that prevented you from losing the fight in the first time, thus making you an overall better fighter. That's the way I look at fighters who suffer a loss if they can come back and improve from the loss. What we see too often today is fighters that are coddled and, and overprotected, then they lose and they're exposed, so to speak, and then their choice is either cash out or become a gatekeeper because they never really were that good to begin with. I respect fighters who come back from a loss and become better for it. That shows me that they learned their lesson. What's your thoughts, Mr. Senecola? Well, you know where I'm going to concur with you on that because basically a loss should be a lesson maker. And you learn and you study and you realize why did you lose this fight? And you develop and you see whether it's a style that you just couldn't handle. You learn how to deal with it. I mean, uh, I, I go often back and, and, and refer back to my first uh, defeat. And what did I do I uh, as an amateur? I studied. I looked at it. And I said, hey, what am I going to do here? How, here's how I'm going to prove. This is why this guy outboxed me. Here's what's going to happen. And certainly six months later, we had a rematch and I knocked him out. So the whole thing is this. You have to learn. That's the proving ground. That's what you do. You know, a loss is not just something that's going to end a career unless you have it built as that. And, you know, it, it, the mind's a, a wonderful thing here. I mean, that's, the, that's, your, that's your best weapon, your best arsenal right there. You take a loss and you learn why you lost and you understand why you lost. And then you apply what you can learn and you make it better. And you know what? It's, it's all up to the person and the individual. And yes, his team, if his manager, his trainer, if they have the wherewithal to, to make things happen and to apply what they learn, then that's, that's great. And to see a fighter come back and fight, fight the opponent that beat him. Yeah. I love to see that. That's always a good, good sign in a fighter. Well, I mean, Sal, I mean, just I, as long as you get better, there's nothing wrong with it, better. right? Nothing wrong with it. No, I'll tell you what. But that's what I'm saying. It, it happened when you when you have a fighter that's coddled, and we've seen this happen in the fight game. You know, you whether this fighter possesses uh, the the arsenal and the wherewithal of how to box and how to move and how to win. You know, sometimes a, a manager or a trainer or a team will protect them coming up, knowing that this guy is the real deal all along. And we've seen it fewer times than not, that they'll have this guy. He won't have a great resume of, of, of opponents behind him. But then when he has a chance to shine, he can rise to the occasion. And he put him in a big fight. And guess what? Wow, I didn't know that could happen or whatever. He does prove that, that to be the case. But that happens on a rare occasion. More times we see are the fighters that are coddled, that are promoted, that are uh, kept with the undefeated record by fighting lesser opponents than, than normally to get to the status where they are. And then they put them in their first big fight and they try to cash in or cash out and they fall flat on their face. So there is always an exception to the rule. And when a fighter on any level is in a ring and he loses a fight, you got to learn from that fight. 
and you have to take it because you know what? It's not a clean game. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a game where you're gonna have uh, fun. This is a business. You map out a career. You map out a strategy. You look at where you want to go in the game of boxing and how far you want to take it. Because you're gonna start out as a contender. Uh, you're gonna. You're gonna either wind up. Uh, you're gonna start as a prospect. You're gonna develop into a contender. You're gonna develop into a title holder. Or you're going to wind up being what's known as a journeyman and uh, uh, an opponent. And uh, either way, you're going to be, uh, you know, that's up to your talent level and your ability to learn from your fights. You know, one of the uh, uh, comments in the uh, YouTube chat room just a couple of seconds ago was, you know, uh, somebody making fun of, um, you know, some of uh, the early fights that, Anthony Joshua had saying, "Oh yeah, he's fought a guy with a hundred losses," which you know he didn't. But but he, he, here's the here's the thing, um, you know the 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 truth of the matter is some of those guys, those <laughs> I want you know, and, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but those professional opponents are tough guys to fight. They're tough guys. Well, well, That's what they are, professional opponents. They're always dangerous. Right. Well, well, they're, they're, they're a good gauge and test for a young yes. fighter as he's coming up. And what's happening in the sport today because of this factu infatuation with the O is that fighters feel that they can't make any money and they walk away. I mean, let's be real. It is a tough way to make a living if, if you're, if you're a so-called professional opponent. But the sport doesn't have those guys like they used to. I, you know, I remember promoting a fight with a, with a guy uh, that uh, was, I think he was like 3 and 23 or something. And, and we put him in with, uh, with, with a middleweight that I was working with at the time. And we were, you know, it was, I'll be honest, we were thinking we were just going to get a W, an easy W uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for our fighter. And it was one of the best fights I ever saw. I mean, our guy won the fight. But this guy had all the tricks. You know, he, he might have four wins and 23 losses, you know, but he still had 27 pro fights, and, and our middleweight at the time had under 10. You know, so, I mean, this is a guy that may have lost a double-digit uh, times, but they certainly learned from that. And, you know, they, t they really – it's the reason you put a fighter in there, Sal, with those kinds of guys is to test them, to see what he has to work on, to see Bingo. a guy that knows how to slip a punch. You know, you're fighting slugs that are just going in there and you're blowing them out and around. You're not learning anything. A guy tags you a couple of times, busts you up a little bit. You get to go back and say, listen, now you got to learn to move your head. Now you got to learn to counterpunch. Now you got to learn to do this and that. You need someone to help you learn that. And, and sometimes in sparring, you just don't get it. What do you think? No, you're right. And, and you know, I remember, you know, coming up when, when, I, when I was working towards an undefeated record, 18-0, uh, uh, I I had those talks with my manager and trainer at the time, saying, "Hey Sal, we're gonna put you in. This is a journeyman. He's great. He's got uh, he's got uh, three times the fights as you. It's gonna be a good test." But I remember that, and I remember you know being able to to learn from that fight, and it was a great thing. It was a great thing, and the same thing that that uh, that we see happening today. You're right. Professional opponents are necessity. And, uh, you know, as long as they're still healthy enough to, to pass a medical test and to be be considered uh, as, a, as an opponent, yeah, they are necessary for a lot of good fighters to learn from. 
it's 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 a it's a the game has changed a little bit since since we were active. And hey, you want to talk about? We we've mentioned this before. One of my favorite fighters in the late seventies or early eighties. I mean, he shocked the world, and I think he was brought in to be not not to, as an opponent because he was a rank contender. But when Mike Hercules Weaver, we talked about it. Mike Hercules Weaver had close to ten losses, if not that amount, uh, maybe more. When he fought Big John Tate for the World Heavyweight Championship, and guess what? Big John Tate was supposed to walk through Mike Hercules Weaver. It was uh, going to be a fight that uh, was going to sustain and, and keep John Tate on top of the world. And what happened? Mike Hercules Weaver had something to say about that. He said, you can look at my losses in my record, but I'm not going to let it stop me because you're another opportunity for me to, to, to dethrone you. And bam, Mike Hercules Weaver knocked down Big John Tate, and he went out face first on the canvas you know they're 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 making some other comments in the uh in the chat room in the youtube chat room saying uh that you know who wants to come see you know you know what bothers me about the the reason why i love our chat room um the best is because it just seems that we get the the more knowledgeable fan in billy c boxing's chat room um some of the people that that kind of come through the YouTube chat room are, are people that misconstrue what we say. And for all the uh, radio and TV affiliates, uh, we are not taking a break uh, for the rest of the show. So sorry. Um, you know, the, the truth <laughs> of the matter is, sorry, uh, it looks like my sorry, electrical uh, gets know. shut <laughs> off tomorrow. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is this, Sal, you know, I don't recall. Somebody just wrote in the chat room. Oh yeah, let me let me uh, let me guess. You know, a fighter gets uh, uh, to thirty and zero and decides it's time for him to take a loss. That's not what we're saying, man. I, you know, th this is what really bothers me about the generation that that uh, you know uh, responds to to titles of a show or or a comment that they interpret wrong. You got to listen to the whole thing. Never once. Did I say that? Or did Sal say that? Never once did we mean to say that. What we're saying is you step into the ring, you always want. If you're stepping in that ring not thinking you're going to win, then you're in the wrong business, my friend. If you step in that ring thinking you're going to lose, you shouldn't even fight because you're in danger of getting killed. But the truth That's of right. the matter is, is after you lose, you have to go back and say why. And if you have a good team around you, they're going to help you determine why. They might be telling you right off, here's the reason why, you know. And you are supposed to use that to get better. This is what is lacking today. Fighters, uh, their teams, their management, promotion, etc., they're so afraid to lose value in a fighter by, by suffering a loss that they, maybe they won't get an opportunity, they won't get on TV, they won't get this, they won't get that that they never give a fighter a chance to get better. And I'm not suggesting that they have they have to lose to get better, but what they do have to do is yeah. is increase their level of, of opposition. Otherwise, they're stagnant, and they don't become better. Sal, I, I don't know how many more times we got to say this. I mean, you're not going to get better unless you step up your level of opposition. And maybe you step it up a little too much too quick, and you learn from it. I mean, that's my point. I, I don't know how much to explain it differently. Well, you know what? You've often used analogies in other sports. If you had the, uh, only because I'm going to use this, uh, the New York Giants playing a high school football team uh, for, for a 20-game season, 
I think it's safe safe to say that the New York Giants are gonna are gonna do what they can do every game to to come out shining and come out being a winner. But if, if but if and and a high school team is gonna get beat up on. But uh, when the, when the Giants step up into uh, to a, a Super Bowl against uh, another uh, um, NFL team that's ready and that's doing the same thing and winning, you know, then it could be a, a game changer. Uh, so, so that's, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but it's the one that I, I'm applying here. Right. Well, that's, you know, I've, I've used that myself and, and you're right. If, if they beat a high school team year in a uh, week in and week out, are they the best team? No. And number one, but, and then when they step up to finally face, uh, a rival on their own, uh, uh level or maybe better who's been fighting and who's been playing other and other NFL teams. Well, you know what? What's going to happen? We don't know. It's it's going to either be a chance for the Giants to say, "Hey, we're going to put it together and we're going to we're going to beat the team," or uh, they're going to get a lesson for themselves and to learn. And what do they do? They go back in the locker room. They talk about it. They learn if they have time, and they come out swinging if they can. I don't know where I got off. Analogy, <laughs> I don't know. You don't. You're not even. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't even watch that much football. But uh, no, I, I, I play I, it though. I got I like couple, to run with the ball. I got a couple. I, I was always a good runner. I was a halfback. I used to play football so long ago. I was called a wingback. Yeah, I know. Hey, they still have wingbacks. <laughs> I, 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 you know. But I, I said I last night in the restaurant. I said, "Give me that wingback." I, <laughs> I played. I played. Uh, I played through high school. I, I was a running back. But anyway, uh, I, I love football. Boxing, football, fishing. <laughs> Um, baseball. Um, <laughs> my man Mitch says it happened again. Billy C. He says, "Oh God." He says, "See, <laughs> Mitch, they could have." Come on, Mitch. They, they, here's my man Mitch, who's who's better be coming to our event in the in the. And speaking of events, hey, if you're a gym owner, a hotel owner, or a manager, or something like that, and you want Sal and I to come and do our show from your facility. Man, we'd love it. We, we want to go on a tour, man. Give us some places to go. Drop me an email, man. We'll make it happen. Billy at Talkin' Boxing. T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Give us a place to do it. We got all the stuff to come and do our show at your place. So uh, check it out. Um, my man Mitch, he says, uh, you see, Billy C., they could have picked any day to make this announcement, <laughs> but they wait until the day. Talking Boxing with Billy C. was wondering why the contracts got that wondering why the contracts just got signed to announce this. You mentioned it, how ridiculous it seemed that the fight contract was just signed by Horn one month before it was supposed to take place. You bought, uh, you thought it was a done deal and scratched your head as to why it was just signed on today. Then less than a day later, we get the announcement that uh, Terrence Crawford injured his hand. Think about this, Billy C. Horn just signs his contract and says the fight's on. You question on your show why it happened so late. You say something weird is happening. Then 15 hours later, the injury comes out of the blue. Whether Crawford is injured or not, they knew this story was going to break well before Horn signed the deal. I'm telling you, once you begin to question, once you began to question Horn's contract, why it was signed so late on the on this deal, we thought it was already done. They decide to break the story. He says, Billy, Aram watches your show. They bring this injury up the day after you raised a question about this fight. The Bob father and Crawford knew that they had to send a press release out soon as you speculated something fishy was going to happen with this fight. Another coincidence, you say, right? I don't think so, says Mitch. Um, 
Thanks, <laughs> you know, Mitch. you know, I tell you, Mitch is always on the ball. Anytime something that happens that uh, is a coincidence, he he comes and uh, uh, gives us kudos, and this is why I love this guy. We we gotta have uh, Mitch. Mitch. Mitch is definitely. Uh, uh, invited to uh, come as, as our guest uh, when we do our uh, uh, event because uh, he's uh, he's been uh, uh, heads on, don't you think? I mean, this this guy is, uh, brings a lot to this show, don't you think? He does, he does, and I, I love I love what he suggests. I mean, you know, it's uh, who, who knows who listens to our show? The big wigs, uh, the decision makers, the uh, the world councils, uh, maybe the NSA. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> I, I know. Well. Well. No. The 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 thing is, is you know, I I uh, uh, I I I find it amusing that uh, that Mitch is always saying this, um, but uh, it is uh, funny, Bill. I mean, we do say something, and then uh, you know, just off uh, out of our own knowledge or top of our heads, and then boom, a day or two later, things come to fruition based on some of the things we suggest or said. No. Well. I I'm mean, waiting for uh, you to tell me the winning lottery numbers because nobody won last night. I want to win the four hundred fifty million next week. They're even trying to say. They're even trying to say in the uh, in the chat room in the uh, in the YouTube chat room that that uh, Mitch is really me. Uh, say well, I, all I could say is this. <laughs> you know, if R Mitch is really me writing my own emails to myself, that first of all, I would never do that. Second of all, come on down to one of our events and you'll meet him because we're going to be bringing him down. And um, let, let me say this. Somebody else said something fishing. Yeah, I love fish. Anybody ever want to take me on a fishing trip? I'm there, man. All you got to do is is just let me know. I'm there. I, I've, I've, I have fished all over the place and uh, I love it. But uh, anyway, another email. This one uh, is uh, from uh, my man, uh, Jamie, um, and uh, he, and now I'm, I'm assuming it's, you know, I, I shouldn't have assumed because Jamie could be a female too, but uh, my listener, Jamie, and I, and I, no disrespect to either side of the fence you're on, uh, he says, uh, hey, Billy C., what's your opinion of Larry Merchant? Do you miss him? Boxing isn't the same without him. I'm so sick of hearing Max Kellum, and he is the worst boxing commentator. It's all about him trying to sound important. What are your thoughts? Well, Jamie. That's short and sweet. I like that. Yeah, me too. Hey, Jamie, I, listen, please don't take this wrong. For, first of all, let me straighten you out here. The worst boxing commentator in the sport is Rollo Morallo. Ronaldo Morallo. Ronaldo. Porky Pig. The guy is a joke. I can't stand him. He thinks he's funny. As a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody else caught this, but he said a, uh, a comment to Al Bernstein, and Al Bernstein didn't respond. Do you know he said the exact same comment? Like, hey, Al, uh, I just I threw you up a question, you know. And then Al came back. I don't know if they were having technical issues or what, but uh, Ronaldo is the worst <laughs> boxing commentator ever to be uh, sitting in front of a microphone. Um, so, no, he's the worst. As far as Larry and Max Kellerman, you know, Max Kellerman, I always thought that he would evolve into a, a pretty good sidekick, uh, if not the main guy. But I've always thought that Max Kellerman was basically told by HBO to, to limit what his opinions are, et cetera, et cetera. But I do have to agree that as of late, Max has not been on point. Um, maybe that maybe he's a little too busy with with uh, some of his other uh, shows that he's on. But um, he uh, he's he's definitely slipped a, a notch or two. But um, but they're still way better uh, than Ronaldo. As far as Larry Merchant, 
All right, here's my thought on Larry Merchant. And, and please, Jamie, uh, don't take it wrong. Larry Merchant, to me, first of all, he was a knowledgeable guy. And I enjoyed the knowledge aspect of what he brought to broadcast. And the fact that Larry Merchant was no, hey, let's bring this guy on and, and throw him in the mix. This, this is a boxing guy. I mean, he was a writer and, and was ringside for some of the uh, greatest fights in the history uh, before he became uh, a staple on HBO. But the part about Larry Merchant I personally didn't like was that Larry Merchant tried, and, and don't get me wrong, for all the, the purists, the boxing purists out there, I'm not suggesting that we're all a bunch of dummies, but you know, Larry Merchant tried to, to, to take and make a poetic statement out of a good, old-fashioned, down-and-dirty statement. In other words, if a guy landed a punch to the face, uh, you know, and somebody said, man, he just landed that right hook right to his face. Larry would say something like, he just uh, purposely uh, raised his right hand and landed a solid, significant punch to the side, which I think was his right side, of his cheekbone. You know, I mean, Larry Merchant tried to make everything sound so eloquent. And although Larry Merchant, that was his style, and I do kind of miss him, um, I, I just I found it hard to follow in the sport of boxing. So um, I think that Larry had a great career with HBO, and I think it was time when he left. And with that said, I also think it's time that Jim Lampley leaves and Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones Jr. is the worst and uh, because I can't stand him talking about himself, and I think Jim Lampley's time has come and gone. What do, what do you think about Larry Merchant? You miss him, Sal? You know, I used to like Larry Merchant and follow him because, as you suggested, he, he was a knowledgeable or is a knowledgeable boxing guy. I think where where I got a little bit uh, uh, tired of Larry Merchant was his post-fight canned kind of uh, scenarios of how he knew what to say for the outcome of, of either opponent, what was going to be done. And he did it in his eloquent, uh, established, uh, polished delivery. Uh, I, I think that 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 kind of turned me off a little bit after I, I heard that being his uh, his his signature of how to close out a fight. Uh, but nothing personally against him. I thought he was a great great attribute to HBO and the team. And I do think that he uh, he did speak from his heart on a lot of levels and that he was passionate about the game of boxing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm surprised they don't have him back on every once in a while just to uh, just to uh, talk about a little, little bit of the thing. Because I think, you know, by his leaving and giving Jim Lampley the torch, if you will, uh, and Jim Lampley w was good too, but I think you know er every so often things become stale, things become old. And as you said, I thought Max Kellerman, I, I was a big fan of his years ago, and uh, of late, I'm, I'm turning my opinion away. Uh, you know, he's saying some things that that I really don't agree with, uh, and I think he's saying it more so for himself to promote himself and to be more important than what I think he really is or more significant. And uh, so it's turning me away or turning me off from what, what he does say is taking it as credible. My man, uh, Ernie in, uh, in the other chat room, um, in the, uh, Facebook one, he says, promoters are lazy 
there was zero effort by top rank uh, for uh, a Horn-Crawford fight. I, you know, I've said the fact, you know, promoters don't promote anymore. That's why Eddie Hearn is so successful, because he actually promotes. Uh, but Ernie is 100% correct. Uh, the promoters are lazy here in the States. I mean, uh, you know, ask anybody that signs with Lou DiBella. Uh, you know, he doesn't do anything for the fighters. You know, he does have contacts and stuff, and that's the name of the game. You know, back in the day, uh, the small promoters were the way to go uh, to get you going, you know, to get the right fights. Now, small promoters can't even succeed, uh, and this is why we don't have those club shows the way we should. Club shows are the backbone of, of boxing. And unless there's room for a small club show style promoter to succeed, and I'm not saying, you know, become uh, Bob Arum or Don King, but to succeed financially and not lose. I mean, fighters today, you know, I don't know if you guys understand, but you promote a fight today. And I, I mean, the first fight that I ever promoted, um, and, and unfortunately for me, it was in the state of New York, which was a, I learned was a mistake. I lost almost $60,000 that night. And a lot of it had to do with the New York State Athletic Commission. But, I mean, uh, and, and the fact that it was a learning experience and I had no one uh, there to really help me do anything, and I, I learned the hard way. I, you know, I, I turned it around and, and used that as an educational experience. But the truth of the matter is, is a lot of times we call them one and dones. A promoter that has dreams of making millions of dollars being a, a boxing promoter, they go and they promote their first show and they lose a boatload of money and then they never do it again. They're scared. They're gun shy. You know, I work with a guy in Florida right now. As a matter of fact, I have an interview uh, meeting with him. I was supposed to call him yesterday uh, about us doing an event. Uh, Sal and I have discussed this many, many times. We're, we're thinking about bringing an event uh, to uh, uh, northern Florida of soon, this year, uh, for, for us. But, um, you know, we want to talk about it. But he's so gun-shy uh, about losing as much money as he did uh, in, uh, in a fight that he did a couple of years ago that, you know, he's hesitant. And like a lot of promoters, they want all the money up front. And, and you know, no business is going to lay out money to support an event that isn't even signed, sealed, and delivered. So it's a catch-22. It, it really is, you know. And uh, But I, I do have to admit that promoters definitely don't promote anymore, Sal. It's not like it used to be. No, and, and like I said, I, I, I just am grateful that I was at the uh, apex of what I thought was, uh, was a great time in boxing. And, and you know what? The, the grassroots promoters, I, I've often said this, and I hate to sound redundant, but I mean, you go back to Lou Duva and the Ice World, where all a lot of world champions uh, originated from and came out of, and contenders. And then you look at the uh, Russell Peltz, the Blue Horizon, the Sands Casino, where I fought many times. And and you look at uh, uh, Bob Arum, Don King. These guys were grassroots uh, promoters that knew how to utilize what was available to them at the time, and they would promote a fighter. They would promote a fight. And you know what? They promoted in such a fashion that it was an event that you couldn't miss. You had to see. If you were a fight fan, forget about it. What these guys would do is, is make it sound like it was the, the fight of the century, the fight of the decade, whatever it was. You could not miss it. And they put the, the, they put the seats uh, out there. They put the people in the seats. They put the networks. They put whatever was available. They utilized. And it was the grassroots movement that uh, evolved. 
and it grew, and the networks, and the TVs, and the pay-per-views, it all came into place. But these guys started out as small promoters that grew and had a vision for boxing. And that's why they were some of the, the big, big tree shakers and a big establishment of where we are today. And I think the promoters today rely too much on the media to, to do the promoting and to do things and take for granted that some of the grassroots playbook uh, is 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 a forgotten and uh, uh, way to go. I think they should revisit the old school. No, I, I, well, a lot of them are lazy, just like Ernie says, because they rely on social media uh, and stuff like that. You know, there's some comments going on about um, Deontay Wilder, and, and the truth of the matter is Deontay Wilder was never promoted well, Sal. I mean, Anthony Joshua, no, Eddie Hearn did a great job with, with, with Anthony Joshua. Deontay Wilder, Deontay Wilder should be more of a of a uh, known commodity. The only reason why the, the only reason why Deontay Wilder is known now, uh, aside from you know uh, his his uh, win over Ortiz, is the fact that he has been promoting himself and his style of "I'm the best," "I'm the bomb squad," all that crap is terrible. That's why most people don't like him. At least that's one of my negatives about him. That style of promotion uh, is is not, you know, as successful when you're trying to get other revenue streams like, you know, sponsors and stuff like that. But he had no choice. I mean, when I look at Deontay Wilder, you know, I, I've always said that I like the man. And to be honest with you, He's a guy that's got more hands in his pocket than if, if it was an octopus with gloves. I mean, I, this guy is being screwed every which way more than a, a $3 prostitute. Are there any more $3 prostitutes? Anyway, but the, but, the, but the truth of the matter is, is that Deontay Wilder had to take matters in his own hands and promote himself. Lou DiBella is technically his promoter. I've never heard Lou DiBella do anything in terms of promoting him except for a fight. Al Heyman is his manager slash uh, advisor slash and what, what what's he really got? You know, I mean, come on, thirty three and a third. And yeah, three. exactly. That's what he's got. <laughs> exactly. Great point. Got? Great point. That's what he got. But uh, anyway, he's got um, a lot of interest. I, I got one more email. This is from uh, the man himself, Coach who's uh, currently residing in our uh, chat room on BillyCBoxing.com. He says, hey, Bill, just remember, on this day in boxing history, on March 15, 2014, heavyweight Malik Scott suspiciously hit the canvas and took a scheduled nap versus Deontay Wilder in the first round of a WBC elimination fight that took place in Puerto Rico. That's right, I forgot. I, I can't believe that uh, that was four years ago. Um, wow. Wow. You know, I mean, uh, Wilder's been around uh, a long time. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was definitely a fix. I, I don't know. I hate to say fix, but that looked pretty fixed to me, Sal. Well, you know, we we uh, we, we can't say. And, uh, you, know, you know, the old saying, if it's not fixed, don't break it. <laughs> no, I think they uh, I think they said it a little differently. But uh, but I get your point. But um, anyway, uh, so don't forget, if you take the time to drop us an email, we'll take the time to read it. Uh, oh, now, yeah. tomorrow, on tomorrow's show, uh, we will be uh, giving you our uh, predictions and breakdowns for uh, the big fights that are scheduled for this weekend. Uh, but uh, a lot of us uh, uh, are really uh, waiting for the end of the month when uh, AJ steps in the ring with Joseph Parker, which we will be able to see 
thanks to uh, to Showtime. So uh, uh, we will uh, be doing this. I also want to give a shout out uh, to uh, uh, to Kurt um, Cousins. Uh, I'm glad that uh, he signed with uh, the Minnesota Vikings because I certainly did not want him to be with the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. It would have been another blunder. I think the Jets did a smart move by signing Teddy Bridgewater. Um, this was a guy that was had all kinds of promise, although he's uh, suspect with the injury that he had. He was a scrambling quarterback and uh, had that uh, horrific uh, knee injury that's kind of put him on uh, hold. But the Jets made some pretty smart moves. They brought in a good running back. They have another good cornerback now. They brought in a linebacker. Uh, we got uh, uh, we re-signed uh, McNown, which, uh, okay, so be it. We have Bridgewater now. So now I hope that the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 get my guy in the draft, and my guy is Josh Allen. I hope Josh Allen goes to the Jets. I have a strange feeling he won't, uh, but uh, it is what it is. But uh, in addition, on this day, in boxing history. Today's the 15th, Sal. It's almost time It's almost time for that St. Paddy's Day stuff. You know, when oh, all the Oh man, that's this Saturday night. All the Irish. Oh, I'm you know, serve, you know that I'm going to serve. You know one day I went one one St. Paddy's Day I actually made green dough pizza. God. Green yeah. dough pizza. That's a fallacy. That that that's a sin. And, and that's let a, me tell you something. And, and, and <laughs> it just looked wrong. I put food coloring in in my base while I was mixing the dough. And it was green, though. And it looked funny. Um, and we had some requests. People, I gave them the option. They could have their traditional or they could have a green, though, pizza. And I even would go as far as maybe making it in the shape of a shamrock. Not listen, really. listen that, that was good. But hey, that, it, Valentine's it's, Day, I do make a heart pizza, and that goes over really well. Yeah, I tell you what, it sounds like. the shape of a heart. It sounds like you're doing a sham rock for uh <laughs> a smokescreen shim but easy, listen listen easy. you know what instead of making green dough why don't you just make like uh like an all green pizza put a lot of spinach on there some broccoli some uh green peppers you know and do that but you know i always wonder about the irish you know the the irish uh you know all right let's be real easy no let's be real all right let's be real we know how the irish are you 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 irish all you like to do is go out there and throw down a few come on i've never i've never met i've I've never met it's a true stereotype it's just like italians we like to eat with gaga results come on man but the truth of the matter is is if you're irish you're a drinker i mean come on come on don't say that billy well it's it's true it's true they all the irish drink all right i mean come on you know, it's part of their culture. It is. It's part of those people's culture. But but listen, listen, listen. The funny thing about it is, the point is, is this. Oh boy. You know, the the Irish like to throw down their beers. We know that, right? They like to drink. You know, I mean, uh, if you've ever watched Family Guy with the Irish, it's That's funny. It's talking about but, Family Guy. But, no, no, no. Family Guy does an Irish thing. It's funny. But uh, but anyway, anyway. Um, you know, the, the the thing about St. Paddy's Day, it's always kind of aggravated me. Knowing the Irish, and, and some of my, you know what, what people say, some of my best friends are Irish, you know. But, uh, you know, but, but anyway, the thing about uh, the Irish is on St. Paddy's Day, the Irish think that that's a pass 
to get as as drunk as humanly possible and then some and they start at the crack of dawn and they drink their green beer or whatever they're going to drink all day and all night and you know it is what it is it's the only day that you would never find yours truly in a bar um on saint patty's day because i just feel that a lot of people use it as an excuse to get belligerently drunk and then other things negative things always happen i will tell you this I had one of the best times of my life on St. Paddy's Day during the day with a whole bunch of Irish uh, fans. I happened to have ended up in Chicago um, on St. Paddy's Day. And in Chicago, they dye the river green, which was the coolest thing. Uh, And it was also the beginning of the NCAA tournament. And I got to hang out with not only all of these basketball fans, uh, but all of the Irish drinking on St. Paddy's Day. And let me tell you, it did start at 9 in the morning. It was already in full swing by the time we got there at 9 in the morning. And uh, it went all night. It was, a, it was a great time. It was one of the best times uh, uh, of my life. So I say this in, uh, in fun. But uh, anyway, on this day, March 15th in 1992, Eddie Cook knocks out Israel Contreras in the fifth round to win the WBA World Bantamweight title. It took place in Las Vegas. On this day in 2003, Sven Akte wins a 12-round decision over Byron Mitchell uh, to retain his IBF and win the WBA Super Middleweight title uh, that took place in Berlin. I think I called him Steven before. It's Sven. It's Sven, will he see? Um, on this day in 1986, Patrizio Oliva wins a 15-round decision over Ubaldo Sacco uh, to win the WBA World Junior Welterweight title. It took place in Monte Carlo. On this day in 1983, Charlie Moraghi knocks out Alicio Mercedes in the seventh round to win the WBC World Flyweight title. It took place in London. And finally, on this day, March 15th in 1963, Sal, one of the greatest fighters of all time, Archie Moore stops Mike DeBassi in the third round in his last professional fight. Four months earlier, he was stopped by a young 15-0 Muhammad Ali. This is Archie Moore. Archie Moore finished his career with 186 wins, 132 of them by knockout. He was only stopped. He He had 23 losses in which he was only stopped seven times, and he had 10 draws. He was a world light heavyweight champion and a world heavyweight title challenger. He was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1990. My question is, a fighter that had 186 wins and he did have 23 losses, why aren't people still talking about Archie Moore when you have people that actually put a 50-0 Floyd Mayweather on a pedestal when this guy had more than double almost triple the amounts of just knockouts compared yeah. to Floyd Mayweather. So please, boys and girls, when you look at who is History. a great fighter, please put in perspective some of these old-time fighters from yesteryear that when boxing was a trade and they needed it to make a living and they fought as frequently as they did for as long as they did, please don't, don't humiliate the boxing legends of yesteryear by putting a guy like Floyd Mayweather in the same discussion as Archie Moore. Now, I'm not I'm not taking anything away from what Floyd accomplished in today's world, but please don't forget about great fighters like Archie Moore. 186 wins, 132 by knockout. 
And at 23 losses, yeah, 23 losses, stopped only seven times. Come on. That's amazing, don't you think, Sal? Oh, Bill, that is such an amazing accomplishment. And, and you know, that's what a lot of those legends, those old, old-timers brought to the game, had the foundation established in the sport of boxing. And I had the honor and the privilege to meet and shake the hand of ancient Archie Moore at that first inaugural indoctrination of the Boxing Hall of Fame. I was there that day. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I shook the hand of a legend. He was, he was not the only one. I mean, there was everybody up there. Everybody. Billy Khan was up there. Met Billy Khan. Met, of course, Muhammad Ali was there. Uh, Jake LaMotta. That was such an exciting time. And, uh, but to shake the hand of ancient Archie Moore was, I, I, I still will never forget this. Because I know, I knew and I knew then what this guy was to the sport of boxing. And please, you're, you're so correct. We cannot forget the, the legend of what some of these guys represented and what they were to the sport of boxing. And ancient Archie Moore certainly was one of the greatest ever. And uh, one last thing to all my Irish buddies out there. You know I love you. You know I love you. Hey, I don't drink beer, but I do drink scotch. And I <laughs> won't mind uh, having a few with you on St. Patty's Day. Hey, listen, make sure you guys tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da na 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 na